there. This is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love talking to creative people. And today my guest is Dick DiBartolo. This is part two of our interview. Dick was an original writer on the Match Game TV show, which spawned many uh, re- reboots. It also led to the Mismatch Game, which I've been hosting for 20 years, Snatch Game, arguably. It's all because of Dick and how he made that show silly. So we talk a little bit more about that in this part of the interview. We go through some names. I talk about Charles and Brett and Richard Dawson. We also talk a little more about his time at Mad Magazine. I was such a fan of it. We also talk about something else that he does. Uh, he's a gadget expert, and he's been appearing on different TV shows Regis and Kathy Lee, World News Tonight, all kinds of different things, talking about gadgets. He has a podcast about it, and you can learn all about that part of his career at gizwiz.biz. I mean, even the website name is clever. Um, So I just love talking to Dick, and uh, I'm excited for all of you to hear part two of our conversation. Before we get to that, I want to let you know that this podcast, Dennis Anyone, is brought to you by Body on Tap Shampoo. No, it's not. That's not even a real thing anymore. Um, that was Remember that was the one with the beer in it and the, and, the, and the model would say, but don't drink it in the commercial? Well, that model was Julie Haggerty, it turns out. Anyway, former podcast guest, by the way. Anyway, I don't have a sponsor. I do it myself because I love it. But there are ways you can support it. If you like it, you can... Uh, go to DennisAnyone.net and leave a tip in my virtual tip jar. Help me cover my expenses. I really appreciate that. Or you could become a subscriber to DNRstudios.com. I'm part of the DNR family. Uh, there's a bunch of different shows on that channel. And for a monthly fee, you get my show early and you get all these other great shows, LGBTQ favorites. And uh, you can learn about that at DNRstudios.com. All right. Here's part two of my interview with Dick DiBartolo. You had the two jobs. Did they ever conflict? Did one of your bosses say, you can't go to MAD right now because you need to be here? Or were you able to kind of navigate that back and forth? Oh, no, no. I, I think they, they both liked it. it um, they uh, asked me if I would do Family Feud. What, they, John said, what, what do you think about satirizing Family Feud? And I said, uh, for a couple of months, I said no. And then I said, you know, I'm just going to put a fake name on it. He said, yeah, you do do that. I think I might have done two. I think I did the prices right. So and, you were doing uh, parodies of the shows you were working of on. Of the shows I was working in on. Magazine. In Mad Magazine. And they magazine. saw that as a badge of honor. Like it gave them cachet. Yeah. Like they loved it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, funny. I, 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 my guess is that it never got as high as Goodson. You yeah. know, I think Goodson thought, mad? What are you kidding? I'm, no, no. Goodson was very elegant and I was not. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I think people were sort of afraid of Goodson, but I I made him laugh a few times, which kind of astounded me. First of all, when I look back on it, I think, my God, I had balls to do that. What did you but do? Do you remember any of the specifics? We were, they had a show called That's My Line. It was a, a replacement, a summer replacement back in, I think, 81. CBS said, we need a show to compete with real people. So they came up with not what's my line, but that's my line. And it was all about people with we uh, strange occupations. Right. I mean, the one I remember most was the blind, the blind carpenter <laughs> who would use power tools. Right. And he was blind. Um, so anyway, I, I went out, um, to write scripts and Goodson was doing all the editing himself and he kept changing things and changing things. Um, and then one day, uh, I went in and I had tied, uh, a piece of heavy string to my wrist. And I come in and I made sure he saw the string. He said, what's the string for? I said, well, you said to me that you were worried that I would want to leave here while changes were being made. I said, this string is, attached to my typewriter <laughs> and until you cut this string, I'm going to be here making changes. Well, he actually laughed. And then another time he had a party at his house, his house. Oh my God. All original artwork. 
I have no Renoir or something because right now it's on loan to the <laughs> Metropolitan Museum of Art. Wow. But they gave me a, this, this cigar to, to uh, hang in its place. What, was and this in New York or Los Angeles? In New York. Wow. And he had a, a butler and a maid oh. and a chauffeur. And in, in Los Angeles, he stayed at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And had two suites, and the selling point of the Beverly Hill hotels that they were proud of, and people who stayed there were proud of, is that there was no monthly, yearly, weekly rate. Everything was a day rate. Wow! So yes. you had to. So pay- you could you could say I'm paying. $3,000 a day, every day of the year to stay here. It was almost like a bragging thing, like of how rich yeah. I Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you were interacted with a lot of celebrities too backstage. There's this great clip of you on YouTube with Lauren Bacall where you guys had like this kind of ongoing. Oh, Lauren Bacall repartee. and I, for some, re- yes, for some reason, Lauren Bacall and I had a lot of fun together and Again, this is one of those things where when I think back, I think, what kind of nerve did I have? Because she had done a, a commercial for instant coffee. Right. There was that really funny one. It, 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 they play it in gay bars because it's so surreal. I forget what it's called, but it's like iconic. Yeah. And, 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 and I knew we were friends when I said, Lauren. And she said, yeah, Dick, my friends call me Betty. Please call me Betty. And I thought, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I said, Betty, I, I was surprised that you did an, uh, uh, an instant coffee commercial. And she said, oh, you want to know why? I said, yeah. She said, because it was three hours and a quarter of a million dollars. <laughs> Game, set, and oh. match. Like, done. We get it. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, I get that. Yeah, I people that. still make fun of that commercial. I wish I could remember what it was called because she had that kind of husky, like yes, absolutely. She was in it. Yeah, well, absolutely. She and I got along well. Rayburn and I were great friends. Um, I went to his apartment. He came here a few times. I used to make these silly eight millimeter movies, and he came over and narrated them. Um, so, and Betty White, Betty White, and I were great friends because we're both animal lovers and Betty White was uh uh just amazing. I'll tell you this quick story. Yeah, no, I could I could um, talk to you all day. I, um my first book had just come out and I had brought some copies over from Mad and I gave one to Betty. Um and she said, Oh autograph it to me. I said, Well oh yeah, I plan on it. Um so on the show, Rayburn said so, Betty, what's new with you? And Betty said, you know, nothing's new with me. But, you know, Dick D. Bartolo, who writes all the questions, just came out and wrote this book. Um, and uh, I can't wait to read it. Well, when the show ended, Gene Kobelman, uh, I would sit right next to Gene, slightly off camera. And we had headsets on. Gene said, Dick, don't leave the studio. Standards and practices coming down. They're very unhappy with uh, Betty White plugging your book. Ugh. So I came down, they came down, and they took me down to their office, and I had to sign an affidavit. I did not pay Betty White to say this. Right. I said, I said, guys, I gave her a copy. I had no idea. I never expected her to plug my book because normally – they plug what they're doing. Sure. I said, but Betty White is just so generous. Uh, and they said, okay, but uh, you shouldn't be doing that anymore with celebrities. I mean, back then, it was they were such a pain in the ass. Uh, what was the book? Um, Mad Murders to Movies. Oh, I love all, it. All about, yeah, 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 all the movies. Um, yeah. Did it end up airing, her moment where she plugged your book? Oh, yeah, they left it in. Yay. Yeah. Look at that. Sometimes with shows, you feel like celebrities don't want to be there, that it's like kind of like jury duty and they just need the check. I think about that sometimes when I watch Dancing with the Stars. They're like, right. oh, they just need the money. But with Match Game, you felt like they all wanted to be there. Was oh, that the yes. feeling? Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and the funny thing is Jack Klugman was on the first week of shows. 
Um, and Ira was producing back and directing back then. Uh, Ira said, uh, Ira told me how, um, now I'm blocking out it. Charles Nelson Riley and Brett Summers. Brett Summers. Yeah. Right. Um, so Jack calls, uh, Ira and says, Brett is driving me crazy. Can you use her just on one show to get her off my back? Um, and, and Ira said, Jack, we, we just book a week at a time. We're more than happy to have her on for a week. And her and Charles, the first week they would just dynamite together. And, and after the week was over, Jack Klugman called Ira. Thank you. That was such a big help. And Ira said, thank you. She is a find. They're having a great time together. We're going to make her a permanent panelist. Yeah, they were like the original so, Will and Grace in a way. Like, yeah, like, yes, yeah. yeah. They had that kind of repertoire. <laughs> what was your relationship like with Charles? Well, you know, I Charles and I were in only New York met from, each other. Yeah, you were in New York. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. Only we only talked two or three times. You know, um, and. He and Brett, I was talking to them backstage, and they said, oh, so you're the person in New York who sends the stuff out. We never knew. Yeah, so I was only out for probably the first 10 days of match game going on the air out there. And then I went out for 13 weeks for... um the, uh, That's my line. Right. And, then, I mean, they were very generous Uh they got me a house in the Hollywood Hills. Amazing. For your 13-week yeah. stint in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. Which I I went out there, and I don't drive. And so Mark's secretary drove me out there. And I, I got out of the car, and I said, I said, Liz, I can't walk anywhere. I'm on the top of a mountain. <laughs> what she am said, I doing well, here? Yeah, it's, this is not New yeah. York. Yeah. So she said, well, well someone will pick you up every day and bring you back. Well, I lasted three days. I called everybody I knew in L.A. to come up and see my house. <laughs> and then I went to Jonathan Goodson and said, I have a plan. You'll save money. He said, the, the plan is fine. As long as I hear that, it'll save money. <laughs> I'm in. He I'm said, fine. But tell me what it is. I said, I'm going to get a motel room two blocks from here, which is far less than what you're paying. And I'm going to fly home every other weekend coach and you will still save money. He said, that's fine. So that's what I did. It was maybe every third weekend. And that's what I did. So I could come back to New York. And also the great thing is when you have a, a hotel room on one end and a house on the, or an apartment on the other, traveling is easy because you don't need a suitcase. You know, you just bring, and that's, that's what I did for the 13 weeks. I came home like four different times, um, instead of having a house in the Hollywood Hills. Yeah. What was Richard Dawson like? He was on Match Game. He was the, always in the bottom center square and he kind of, everyone always picked him for the super match, but he seemed like a little, like he seemed a little full of himself. Looking back. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, I only know this through Ira. It yeah. is, is Ira said, you know, we're having trouble with Richard Dawson. Richard Dawson went through the roof when they introduced the uh, prize wheel. Oh, right. And, and the, At the, the end. problem was that everybody picked Richard Dawson and... For the I super said, match you know, at the end. This, the panelists yes, exactly. got to pick so and they, they would always pick we'll him. put the wheel yeah. in that... Would randomize you, it. Always be, yeah, it won't always be Richard Dawson. Well, Richard Dawson said he was pissed with Ira. Why is that wheel here? And Ira explained, and he said, well, I, I, I hate this. I, so Ira said, Richard, if you want off the show, that can be arranged. So I think from that time on, Richard had a real edge to him. Yeah. And then finally, Family Feud was becoming wildly popular. And he he finally left. And also that was making Gene very sad because Gene said, Dick, he just signed. Did you know Richard Dawson just signed a, a contract for a million dollars because of nighttime family feud and daytime family feud? 
And he said, I'm making a measly, uh, back then it was $5,000 a week. Um, so, Ugh. yeah, so it was not great. It was, he was fine at first, but he yeah. grew less and less in yeah. his role. So what I think what I was picking up on watching it was, was, was kind of what was happening. Um, what was uh, Gene Rayburn like? As a oh, Ray, Rayburn was great. I thought yeah. Rayburn was super. He, he just knew how to handle contestants and people always joke about that big long microphone yeah that he, that he, you when know when i first uh, started doing mismatch games somebody made me one but it wasn't working so it was just like a prop that i would kind of hold yeah but it was important right. you people, had to have it yeah people said oh you know it's a it's a uh, a, a penis symbol yeah what it was was that gene loved the audiences and during the three minute commercial break he would go out to talk to them um and they would ask questions and after a couple months Gene said to one of the sound guys, he said, you know, can you put a mic on a stick or something? He said, because I love talking to the audience, but I can't hear their questions. Um, and one of them said, well, Sony makes whatever model number that is. And they got him that mic. So that he can and, interact easily with the audience. Yes, yes. So he could go out to the audience and hold it. And Rayburn was, he was, he had an amazing timing sense. They would he would stay there till he heard 10 seconds yeah talking to the audience and they go gene snap right 10 9 and rayburn sometimes knowing that you'll see rayburn go and we're back and you know now that you know that you'll know that he just got to stand where he's supposed to that very second yeah yeah I, i also think of richard dawson and all the kissing he did on family feud and being like that would never fly today. It was it was weird back then. It, yeah, it was, it, and he and Ira got into a big fight because a minister's wife would not kiss him. Oh, she was a contestant in the fam, one yes. of the families. Yeah, and and Richard Dawson said, "I never want a family on here where the person's not going to kiss me." And I think I think at the end. They forbid either Ira or Howard, maybe Howard Felsher was doing it back then. The producer. Howard Felsher was forbidden to be in the studio. Dawson did not want families where they wouldn't kiss him and it didn't, he didn't want Howard Felsher. At the that was end. so weird. So if you're a contestant in your family, you're like, okay, you gotta, you gotta be, you know, you gotta have a lot of personality. You gotta, you know, pretty, pretty bright and know how to play the game. And you also have to kiss the host yes, no matter yes, what. Yes, you have to be beware that Richard Dawson's going to kiss you. Yeah, for sure. You know, tongue is optional. <laughs> That's your choice. But it's happening whether you are whether you want it or yeah. not. Um, yeah. I always remember uh, we had Marsha Wallace do the mismatch game a couple of times. The, oh, yeah, yeah, she's Lightroom. great. And she said that they always called the fourth seat the dummy seat because it was usually the beautiful bombshell. Yes, um, yes. Was it called the dummy seat or was there was it an unwritten thing? Or like what do you remember about that? Oh, I remember Howard saying, uh, Howard Fellship, um, a, a new celebrity would be in seat one. Yeah. Then it would always be Richard and, and, uh, Brett and Charles, two and Brett three. And Charles, Brett and Charles, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then he said, we try to get a silly person yeah. that we can get laughs from in the fourth seat, Richard Dawson, and then somebody who's a lot of fun in the fifth seat. So Usually that was like Marshall a redhead, Marshall Wallace, Patty Bitty, Bitty, Bitty Deutsch, White, yes, Annie Flagg, yes. yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You know the show well. Oh, yeah. I'm, I live it. Um, and the first seat, sometimes you would have like the hot young hunk of the day. Like there were. Yes, some, yeah. Do you remember any cuties that came in? You're like, whoa. No. I remember it was be like Bowser Bowman or like Bart Braverman or like kind of these dashing leading men sometimes in that first seat. Yeah. I don't have any stories yeah. Uh, yeah, about that because I wasn't there when they booked the shows. Yeah, because you were you were. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I was back in here, York. but I, I just I just know that seating thing from talking to Ira one yeah. day about that, and, and also um, if you Google for for fans, if you Google Ira Scutch uh, Directors Guild videos, he has one that's about Match Game. Oh, how fun! I bet that's okay, amazing to watch. Looking behind you, I see uh, a number of images of Alfred E. Newman from um, from Mad Magazine. I yes. don't know where he came from. I never knew his Alfred origin e. Newman story. Alfred came, Newman came from a painless dentist ad from the 1890s, and it said, What me worry, Yeah, I go to Dr. Romaine, painless dentist. 
And that's just where it came and, from. Uh, and no one knew, was it a doctored photo or a real person? And uh, May had just started using him with no name. And then this, there are a million stories about how the name was. The story I remember was that that Al Jaffe said, why don't we call him Alfred Newman, but put an initial in there because in black and white movies, Alfred Newman does all the music. And that's the story I heard. Um, I mean, he was in Playboy for a while because it was just a public domain thing. I, I believe Mad didn't even copyright it because he's so well known as Alfred E. Newman. Um, who, why would you use it? Because as soon as people see that image, it's Alfred E. Newman. But yeah. I'm not sure about the copyright thing, but that's where the original one, if you Google that, that'll come up, the picture of that ad. Dr. Romaine, the painless dentist, what me worry. Amazing. And also what me worry is kind of a good philosophy of life, I yeah. think, generally. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I remember when Mayor Pete was running for president and somebody compared him. I think it was Trump that compared him to Alfred E. Newman. And Pete <laughs> had a really snappy comeback. I don't remember what it was, but like, I'm glad the president's reading or something like that. Uh, it was, it was a good, uh, a good reference. Are you hearing that? It's, it's found. It is playing. Uh, stop, stop, stop. Did you accidentally Alexa, uh, the, the YouTube videos we it were just found, talking no, about? No, I said, I, I said, I said the G word. Yeah. And, and the thing, and my phone found it and was playing it. That's amazing. That's a gadget. Uh, that's a Gizwiz, uh, moment to talk about. Yeah. Um, so a scary just, moment. I'm thinking, who is to, on my phone talking about Ira? Yeah. So you have this other whole other career as a uh, gadget expert and you would do all kinds of television appearances. You have your podcasts and all of that stuff. Were you always into gadgets? Was that something yes, that was just yes, part of your yes. thing? Uh, uh, my office was always filled with them. And uh, Barbara Griff was a producer on, uh, I think, To Tell the Truth. And she left to go to a show over at Channel 5. Back then it was Metro Media called Saturday Morning Live. And one day she called me and she said, you know, we, did you ever think about coming on television? She said, because your office always has all those gadgets. Would you show some of them? And I said, uh, oh, okay. I'll, I can do that. So I came over and showed some gadgets. And a couple of weeks later, she said, you know, people like that. We got some mail on that. Can you do, do it again? And I said, yeah. And after the third time, she said, can you be on every week? And I said, yeah. And then I got a call from uh, Regis, uh, Regis producer. Uh, are you on the contract to Metro Media? And I said, yeah, but it's not exclusive. They said, do you want it? Can you be on Regis? And I said, yeah. Um, and then from that, I went over to Good Morning America and then World News Now. Yeah. So, so. You, you just this amazing other thing that you do. What's the yeah. gadget you're obsessed with right now that I should probably go by? Boy, you know what? Uh, to tell you the truth, it's very funny because I shifted the the uh, uh, gear of Gizwiz because technology is it's just getting too complicated. It's changing all the time. How do, I, time. How do you keep up? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I just try to find unusual gadgets that people don't know about. And yeah. and the the last thing I found and, and there's a guy who does some videos for me. He kept saying. It was at an event called Pepcom. He said, go see the chicken coop. And I said, what's the chicken coop doing at a tech event? And he said, go talk to the lady. So I went over there and she said, this is the small chicken coop. Uh, she said, there's a camera here and the camera keeps track of your chickens, but the camera identifies 700 animals, but it really knows what a fox looks like because foxes hunt chickens. Yeah. And if it sees a fox... It sets an alarm off to the chickens to get back into the coop, but it, it sets an alarm off that'll scare the fox and it'll send pictures to your phone of the fox. The whole thing. And, and the, the door opens in the morning when the sun comes up to let the chickens out and sure. it closes and it was like a whole thing. And yeah. I'm thinking, this is kind of fun. Yeah. So that's what I do. I, I look for fun. Fun gadgets. Fun, unusual gadgets that, that yeah. do really cool, interesting yeah. things. 
I'm very inspired by your story and by, by the work that you've done and also that you've stayed uh, doing things creative all the time. What keeps you going? How have you managed to keep up that sort of creativity and productivity? Uh, you know, I, I I try to post something on on Facebook every day. The great thing, uh, you know, people say, do you miss writing? Well, if I come up with something stupid, I can just put it up on Facebook. And <laughs> that might be the name of this episode. If I come yeah, up with yeah, something yeah, stupid, yeah, I can just put it up on uh, Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and fans, you know, I do this Gizwe show uh, every Thursday night, and I do another show Wednesday night called Giz Fizz, where we do play some match game stuff. And I just do it for the fans because I I usually get uh, one or two emails every week saying, oh, my God, you just brightened my day, and I look forward to it. And, and that's fine. It, 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 that it brightens your day brightens my day, and so why not just keep doing it? Yeah. And also about old age is I thought I, I walk at least 3000 steps a day. And I think if you can walk 3000 steps every single day, you're not going to die quickly. When I was a kid, um, people would, when they turned 65, every one of them would say, when I turn 65, I'm leaving the job. I'm getting a rocking chair. I'm putting my feet on the railing and I'm not going to move. And they did that and they died. Yeah. And fortunately, these days, I don't know anybody who's talking about retiring. If you retire, then you do a podcast or you write a book. Right. Um, and, and that's what keeps me going. Just do stuff. Yeah. I love it. Like I'm inspired this. by it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting because I'm, I'm in my late fifties and I've done a lot of things and I'm, I keep it going, but I could feel the phones ringing less. There's, you could feel it sort of happening and you're like, Oh, I wasn't going to be this person. I was going to be different. And I'm like, no, you don't get a joke. You don't get a vote. It's just, but so you have to generate the stuff, right? You kind of have to be yes. more of a self starter. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, it's the same. I know that mad, I, I wear a mad hat all the time. And now I can wear a mad hat and maybe twice a week someone will say, Oh, mad TV. They don't even know mad magazine. Wow. They, they just know Alfred and they just right. go, Oh, mad TV. Um, but 20 years ago, I wear a mad hat. Oh my God, mad. Hey, yeah. Yeah. I would go board it in an airplane and the captain was there and he said, I, are you the mad guy? I said, yeah. The captain said, I cannot tell you how you enhance my life. He said, don't tell anybody. I'm giving you my wings off his uniform. Wow. I said, what? I said, I, I can't take them. He said, I can buy others. He said, just don't show them to anybody, but I want you to have something <clears throat> very personal. And unfortunately I had a mad pin on. I said, well, I can get more of these. Here's my mad pin. But, uh, um, Another time I was at the airport and, and the guy was checking me and he goes, are you Dickie Bartolo right for man? I go, yeah. And he goes, you know what? You can't be in coach. Hang on. Wow. Okay. Now you're in first class. This is before upgrades. He, he just put me in first class because I wrote for mad and he was affected by it. I so th I think well, there's I mean, something that's in the distance, but like you, you're still a mad fan. It's well, great. I think there's something. I think it shaped my sense of humor and I ended up getting paid for my sense of humor. It became, it really helped me find my path and it, I didn't have a lot of funny people around me. It like wasn't in my family. It wasn't, it, it wasn't like a natural thing. It just discovered something in me. And I think, I, I, I think it, it was the way it made you feel about yourself. It made you feel clever. Like you had a secret. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Grown up. It made you feel sophisticated. Like, do you have any thoughts about the way why Mad touches people in a way that maybe other comics or other things didn't? What what is that sort of sentimental core? You know, I I I I think it was that Mad is is Mad. Nobody buffaloes Mad. Mad was very early on making fun of the government in the early days. Parents wouldn't let kids read Mad because they said. 
Well, they're making fun of the government. The government knows what they're doing. You make, they're making fun of car ads. They're making fun of cigarettes. Well, man, a long time has been on cigarettes and alcohol. And, um, I, I, I think that they like the fact that mad was not mean, but it was putting down things that you should really think about. Yeah. Really think that maybe there's something to this humor. Maybe they're, they're making fun of this, but there's a grain of truth to this. Yeah. It's, and, and I, uh, uh, you know, I don't know beyond that. Um, because like when I was a kid, I, I, I loved mad because I thought, Oh, that's so funny that they could take that serious ad and make it seem like this. And, and I want to do that. <laughs> so I did do that and I'm still doing that. Yeah. Um, no, it, it, it's, I, I am overwhelmed by what some people that I idolize think of mad. You know, I love Stephen Colbert. Yeah. I think he's so talented. And I was in the park. This is this year. And uh, this guy said, oh, the mad hat. Do you, you love mad too? I said, oh, I love it too. And I, I worked there for 50 years. And he said, oh, my God. We got talking. And I said, and what do you do? And he said, uh, I'm co-executive producer for Stephen Colbert. And I said, I told him how much I love it. I said, can I write a fan letter to Steve, Stephen? Uh, he said, yeah. So I found an old piece of mad stationery and I wrote on a computer and printed it out on that mad stationery. And, uh, a week or two, I met him in the park again. And I said, what did Stephen think of my note? And he said, he read it. And he handed it off to a production assistant and said, get this framed. I want to hang it in my office. Oh. And I think, oh, my Oh, my God. I think for a lot of people that ended up going into comedy and writing, Mad was their gateway into that kind of thinking. Uh, that was certainly true for me. Um, yeah, all, all, slightly older guys. Yeah. You know, young people know nothing. Yeah. Know nothing about Mad. Yeah. What's your favorite souvenir from Match Game? Did you keep anything? Um, uh, from match game, some cards, some oh, match game, well, some cards. question cards, like that you wrote. Yeah, out. some question cards, which are going out to a museum, the, uh, muse, the game museum of something that there's a big museum and they're starting a game museum section. Okay. No, back then, who knew? Someone said, do you have all the cards that the celebrities wrote on and threw away? Who knew? They would be worth you know? something. Well, at the at the mismatch game that I show, we once did a special that I host. We once did a special match game for a bear group, like a gay bear group. And in the middle of the show, somebody held up an answer and somebody in the audience stood up and said they wanted to buy the card. And we we're like, we'd never done that before, but we started doing that. So now in the show... If an audience member falls in love with the card, they bid, they shout out a bid, and we have an auction, and all the money goes to the Gay and Lesbian Center, and we throw in an extra prize. But it became this thing because it became like the souvenir, and there, there are people, if you go to their houses, they have them on the refrigerator. It's some random answer that doesn't mean anything, but it's like this fun takeaway thing. Yeah, like I would love a card from Charles Nelson Riley or, or Brett Summers. And, oh, and, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, send me your address. I'll send you a match game card. Oh, I, oh my God. Yeah. Oh, you made it. Okay, so I'm hosting my show. And tonight. I have Arlene Francis, one of Arlene Francis's masks. From What's My Line. From What's My Line. Um, I have a quick question about Tattletales, which you also worked on. It was yeah. the game where there was the banana section and the husband and wife were in different rooms answering yes, questions. Yes, yes, yes. Did you ever have a couple on there where you felt like their marriage was in trouble, but they were still doing Tattletales? Where you felt like, uh, oh, they hate each other, but they're, this is an act. Uh, the, the only, I, I'll tell you my take on that is I didn't watch the show all the time. Yeah. Um, Steve Allen and Jane Meadows yep. matched everything. Everything. Right. And they I was, really knew each other. Yes. I was in, in the green room and, and telling them, I, I said, I can't believe you guys. And, and Jane said, one night I had a dream that I was caught in a building burning and Steve woke up and said, you know, 
I dreamt that there was a building burning and I rescued you. It was sort of like someone had the beginning of a dream and the other one had the end of the dream. She said, we're in total sync. We just, we just know everything about each other. On the other hand, Joyce Brothers, the, uh, Psychiatrist, yeah. or Doctor Joyce Brothers, she was on all those game shows. Never matched anything. They never. never matched anything. I don't know what that meant, but they never guessed what the other was going to say. I love that Doctor Joyce Brothers was a television personality because she's known for being like a therapist or a, an expert yes, in that yes. world. But she was on all these game shows. And when I wrote my novel Misadventures in the Two One Three, I decided to put her as a judge at a beauty pageant with one of my. Uh, characters from my book and they and and dr joyce brothers ended up becoming like her personal therapist and she's like she's really smart she knows so much like i just obsessed with her as a personality that we loved and saw all the time in the 70s um is there anything specific you want to promote i know you have your podcast the gizwiz no you know uh gizwiz.biz is my website and um the Giz with, uh, TV is where the, uh, hour weekly video show of gadgets, uh, appears. And the only way I make money is, uh, it's listener supported. And we use Amazon, uh, affiliate links. Love it. That's it. There it is. Yeah. Um, I'm hosting my mismatch game show tonight. Do you have any, uh, funny questions or something that didn't make the air or anything I can tell the audience tonight. Did you do the unlucky Louie question? No, what is that? Okay. This is, we used to, when it was on ABC at night, they yeah. said that the question is going to be a little uh, racier. Uh, so we would write some, some regular questions and then some out and out filth. Right. That, you know, we knew they would never use, uh, and, but that made the other questions. Right. You could get same. away with the, right. the so stuff that you really wanted. This is one that I wrote that they actually used on air. <laughs> unlucky Louie was so unlucky. Uh, when he went on a diet, he lost two inches, but he didn't lose it from his waist. He lost it from his blank. <laughs> so what did people put? Did they do? Nose. Oh, okay. Height. Yeah. Arms, you know, you, there there are some other questions, but it's the most right on the nose question that I I could think of, and, and it got on the air. Do you remember when the audience started doing the callback? Like, how unlucky? No, I that? don't remember. Yeah, yeah, we do that in so, mismatch game. When the question yes, makes and sense. then Gene started pausing. You know, yeah. dumb door was so dumb, he put the card down, and then the audience started yeah. to know that they would have jumped Amazing. in with. The yeah. first time I did the mismatch game, it was for my birthday. It was just, I was 2000. I was like, I'm going to throw myself a party and I love the match game. I'm going to do that. And I kind of had a, a question shifting moment like you describe when you're like, oh, let's make these silly. Is like, I was writing questions like they were to be on a match game, like Dumb Door. And I thought, oh, no, wait, let's make it about pop culture. Let's make it about what's in the news this week. And, and I, at the last minute, I rewrote all these questions about the Backstreet Boys. And anyway, and, and it ended up like that ended up being the format that we do. Um, but it's just amazing what an enduring format it is and what a the Snatch Game and all of the incarnations. And I think it's because you had the idea to make the question silly. I think that's, that kept that show going and made it no, so I, enduring. Uh, that, 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 I, that I can take credit for because it would have died after a year. Yeah, that would have been it. And that would have been, yeah. No, amazing. I always wish if only Goodson had said, well, we're going to give you a half a percent of the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, in but your, I got 70 years of employment, so. It's not bad. But in your book, uh, you talk about, like, retirement. And, like, because you were a freelancer, you didn't always have that nest egg that people have, that were that are on staff have. That's something I really relate to. How have you managed to, to do that? What did I you did, end up getting what, and it was, it was Bill. Bill said, listen, I pay top rates. I have no health plan. I have no retirement. Make sure you put money away. And Bill, this is Bill Gaines. That's Bill Gaines, yes, yes. So I would take like a, a royalty check from Mad Books and deposit it. And I, uh, for a while, I did something called an SMT. You know what? Satellite I've heard Media of it, Tour? but I don't know exactly yeah, what it yeah. means. Yeah, uh, satellite media tour is uh, you show products, and and uh, and I decided that uh, I would do like four or five of them, and directly deposit the money. Boom. And that's what I did. That's so you were smart what, about also, money. You saved your money. 
I save my money. And, and because of Bill, these trips, uh, I, I never take a vacation. Because the mad trips of my vacation, when I used to go to CES, um, I would s- spend an extra day in Las Vegas and do something. Um, and now I have no desire to travel. Yeah. So. When you talk about Matt, it's, it seems like it's mostly men. Was it all men or were there any women in well, the well, office? We had, we had a couple of women writers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we had a couple of women on staff, but it was mostly men. Yeah. Um, when you look back on your life, what makes you feel proud? Uh, match game and mad. Seriously. Yeah. That, that they endure. Yeah. That, that I would be a different go. person if it weren't for those two things. Uh, yeah. It had a profound effect on my life, I think. Um, uh, on on a lot of people. And, um, you know, it's always good to, uh, every once in a while, <laughs> someone does an interview and, and, and says, you know, that Alfred guy, what's his name? And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be a good interview. <laughs> they don't, you mean they don't know specific jokes from the Shining parody? Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I thought, oh my God. Yeah. Um, it's going to be short. Uh, I, Actually, this is more than an hour and yeah, a half. Yeah, we've gone. Okay. Uh, here's my final question. Um, okay. What have you learned in your life? Um, I've learned never to be serious. That everything, there's sort of a work around, a work around for everything. Sometimes I can't see it exactly, but I find sometimes, even with mad parodies, um, if I can't think of anything to write. I just forget about it. And I go for a walk and somehow my brain seems to be solving things in the background. And if a problem comes up about getting something fixed or something, um, I just walk around now because nowadays, thank God for Google, you can Google and find out what other people did. Right. But the, the thing is to realize if you got, if you've gotten this far in life, it's pretty certain you can go the rest of the way solving problems. Yeah. Um, so what me worry is kind of uh, a philosophy in a way. Yeah, no, kind of absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I found myself at a, a career crossroads again where I'm not quite sure how I'm going to make a living. And I've been here before. And in the past, I would get really worried and there were issues and health and all this stuff. And this time I decided, what if I just didn't care? And I just kept going and tr- kept trying and like, not if I didn't care so much, if I didn't take it on. And I, and it's, uh, I have, I have moments where I struggle, but overall I'm like, oh, well, I, I get to, oh, well, a lot quicker than I used to. Yeah. I, I think when you're, uh, on, on a path, I, took this thing called seven cents or something about being on a path. I love that stuff, by the way. I love yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that when one door closes, another door opens, I think that really, that really works because sometimes, uh, incredible things will, I'll just tell you one thing that to this day, I, then and I were going to Boston for some reason, the train was packed. We kept walking forward and forward, and finally we found two seats together. And the conductor came through, and he and he said, "Guys, you're in the business section. Uh, these are coach tickets, um, or maybe it's first class. I don't know what Amtrak the thing." He he said, I, "I said, oh oh," and I started to get up. He said, "Well, don't get up while the train's moving." He said, "Wait till we get to the first stop and then go back." And he walked about four feet, and then he came back and he said he had a clipboard, and he goes. Hey guys, for some bizarre reason, there is an empty business car attached to this train. And he said, so it's not on the Amtrak manifest. So if you, when we stop, just walk through this entire train and, and there'll be an empty car at the back. The door's unlocked because I was back there. And he said, go back in and enjoy yourself. And. I guess he t- told only two other people because the four of us had this entire business class car to ourselves. And I'm thinking, oh my God, this is like, this is like an astounding thing. That's so. amazing. But it also, I think you bring that attitude to the world. I think it, it also, how you meet the world sort of, uh, opens yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll, 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 I'll play with one other. I love this stuff. This I, could, I could listen to this all day. 
Fitzy's a, was a, a, an idol of mine. And when I was out in L.A. doing this show, Fitzy's was appearing for two weeks in, um, um, I forgot the name of the, the show. Uh, it was a, it took place on a ship and he played the ship's doctor. And so I went to the box office and I said, do you have anything to, for tonight? He said, sir, we have nothing for the entire run. I said, Oh God, Sid Caesar was such a fan of mine. He helped me get start writing for mad because he said, you write for mad. I go, Oh yeah. So I had a mad card. He, oh my God. I know who you are. Is a house seat for tonight. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. I, I got out my wallet and he goes, no, there's no charge. This is on me. This is a payback for everything you did for me. And I'm thinking, holy criminy. It was the way it made you feel about yourself. It's the way Mad made you feel about yourself at that age. I think that yeah. is why you've had so many of these kinds of experiences. Because I, yeah. I can speak to that personally. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, well, this was this was great fun, and thank you. So I'm much, not going to I'm not going to take the thousand dollars you said I was going to get. <laughs> just just keep that. I'll keep. Yeah, I need it. You know, we've established yeah. that we need that. Yeah, just just, just keep it. <laughs> thank you so much, Dick. This was a real thrill. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be high on this for a week. So thank okay, you so great. much. Uh, thank and thanks for being a great host, and thanks for knowing so much, uh, and making this a delight for me too. Thanks again to Dick DiBartolo, one of my dream interviews. I loved it so much. You can learn more about him at his website, gizwiz.biz. All right, so this happened. I saw a lot of gay stuff recently. Um, I went to a concert, first of all, at the Greek Theater in Los Angeles, where the Brothers Osborne were performing. Um, the Brothers Osborne are a country duo of brothers. Uh, they rock. I went with my friends Jeb and Becca and Penelope, my roommate, and Becca and Jeb and I had seen the Brothers Osborne before in Vegas with Jeb's husband, Stephen, and my friend, Matt. It was like our thing. And now we were going to see them again at the Greek. Um, and here's the deal. In between those two concerts, the main singer of Brothers Osborne, TJ Osborne, came out as gay. So we got to see him pre-coming out and post-coming out. And um, both shows were great. And uh, I loved that the Greek was packed and this gay country singer who's really handsome and I was wondering if the pants would get tighter now that he's gay but they were always tight it's hard for some of those country guys to get any tighter talking to you Tim McGraw but um, anyway it was a great show and I always love when celebrities come out like they're in their 30s or whatever and, and they, they finally come out and they do the press and they talk about their journey and then within a five fucking seconds they have a boyfriend and a house and they're settled like Damn it. You've been out for 15 minutes and you've already locked it all down. The point is TJ has a boyfriend, I think. I saw some red carpet stuff. Anyway, another really great thing about that concert was the opening act was a and also a gay guy named Fancy Haygood. Um, he has got a beautiful voice and some really great songs. He's kind of got a bear vibe to him. He's very funny. He spoke in between songs and was very self-deprecating and sweet, and I really want to get him on the podcast. So putting that out in the universe. Um, I sent him a message on Instagram, but he did not respond to me. But he did respond to when I posted about the concert. But for some reason, it just came out as question marks. His, his uh, comment is like five question marks, which I think is what happens when your iPhone doesn't have the right emoji software installed. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> it's a big question mark. Uh, my my future with Fancy as an interview guest. By the way, his Instagram handle, well, if you look under it, uh, it has this line. He's not the hooker Reba's been singing about. So just a little clarification there. Uh, but it was a great show. Great music. And just a packed uh, Greek theaters. Listen to two gay guys sing country music. It was kind of cool that it wasn't a big deal. Uh, loved it. All right. And then I went and saw Mitchell Anderson's show, You Need to Call Your Mother. And I had Mitchell on the podcast a few weeks ago, so I got to see the show that we were talking about. And he was terrific. He's such a good performer. He's got a really great singing voice. Um, he sang a bunch of different songs, and he told his story, and he feels things very deeply. It's 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 clear that he's a terrific actor, but, like, you know, in the more serious moments, he his, his uh, emotions were really... Uh, front and center and it was just it was it was a great show what really moved me about it though were there were all these other out actors there um bill brucktrup 
who has been on this podcast before. Uh, he used to be on NYPD Blue uh, back in the day. Uh, he was there. Uh, Tuck Watkins was there. Um, Peter Page from Queer as Folk was there. Kevin Spiritus was there. It was all of these guys that came up after Mitchell came out. And I think there was this feeling of like, Mitchell paved the way. And it was just cool to see them there. And you know who else was there? Jennifer Tilly, who is a delight. Um, I interviewed her back in the 90s, whenever Bullets Over Broadway was happening for Movie Line Magazine. We had a great interview. And we sort of stayed friendly a little bit. I would see her here and there. And in 2002, she came and did a show with me of my book screening party. She read the character of Dr. Beaverman at the Gay and Lesbian Center. We did a stage show. Yeah, it was kind of wild that that happened. But she came. I just remember that was a magical night. She was always really fun whenever I see her. And she was no exception uh, at Mitchell's show. She was so warm and funny. And, you know, she. I was like, are you still playing poker? What's going on? The Chucky of it all. And then she's like, and, and what are you up to? And I'm telling you guys, I almost heard a record scratch. Because famous people never ask Oh, and how are you? What are you doing? Like, she was interested. And there was almost like a record scratch. Like, I just didn't quite, I was like, oh, I, well, I've been doing this thing and that thing and this podcast and, you know, whatever, whatever my dog and pony shows are. But it's just wild when a famous person is interested in other people. <laughs> it's a delight. Uh, so there was that. So anyway, it was, it was a great night. And uh, one other thing that I saw last week was a movie called Everybody. Uh, it's a documentary about intersex people. It's currently showing on Peacock. You should really seek it out. It's a really well-made film. I knew virtually nothing about the intersex community going in, and I learned so much. I was moved. It was entertaining. It had humor. Um, and there's somebody that appears in the movie, uh, a woman named Alicia Roth Weigel, who I'm really trying to get on the podcast. She's um, She works in state government in Texas, and she's a real badass. And she's really fun and interesting and fabulous, and I'm tracking her down too. Maybe I'll get some question marks in my Instagram <laughs> when I reach out. I don't know. I'm trying to track down these people. That's it for now. Thank you so much for listening. Before I let you go, I want to plug my side businesses. You Don't Know My Life Virtual Game Nights. If you work for a company that's got a remote team and everyone's spread out and you want to do something fun together, let me host you in a game. Or if you know somebody in that world, HR people or whatever, um, I love doing it. And um, it's my little side hustle and I, and I really enjoy it. You can learn about that at youdon'tknowmylife.com. I also have my LifeCast business where I interview people about their lives, like a podcast. Um, say your parents are getting up there in years and you want to get their story down in a really fun, painless way, let me interview them. Uh, so you can learn about that at getalifecast.com. I also have a phone number for this podcast, a voicemail. So if you want to leave a, a comment or a thought or whatever, you can go to 1-888-647-9653. Finally, I want to thank Oscar Rosario for mixing the episodes. My theme music is by Mark Daniels for Placement Music. We'll catch you next time. I'm Dennis, anyone. Bye. That was the weirdest inflection I think I've ever done. 